Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Isaiah 55. We're going to continue our uh, sermon series through the topic of uh, hospitality this morning. And uh, before we turn to God's Word, let me... um, I just make a few brief announcements. Uh, the first is that, as John mentioned, today, this afternoon at 3.30, we're having a 10-year celebration, celebrating 10 years of Christ Church Bellingham. Um, our church, actually July is when the anniversary for our church is, but everyone's gone in July. So today, we're going to have a party out at Hovander Park from uh, 3.30 to 8.30. We're going to have food. We have Kids games like bouncy houses, lawn games, and adult games, and uh, time to just fellowship and eat and be together. Love for all of you to come and be uh, a part of it. it. The Lord has just given us a gorgeous day to celebrate. And uh, so bring a, some camp chairs so you can sit and eat. We might have chairs for everyone. We'll have a, a, some time of singing and thanking God for uh, all that he's done in our communities these last uh, 10 years. And, and even if you're, you're brand new here, maybe this is your first time at Christ Church, we'd love to have you show up at Hovander and, and uh, eat some food and celebrate with us. So... Um, uh, yeah, and you might, you know, I, I think it's going to be plenty warm, but you might bring a blanket or something. We're going to plan to go till, till 8.30 and uh, just really looking forward to that. Uh, second announcement uh, is uh, we're really excited to have Nick Dahlquist uh, leading music with us, not just this Sunday, but uh, the next two Sundays. So three Sundays he's going to be leading. Uh, Nick is the uh, chapel coordinator at uh, Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. He's in seminary there. That was uh, Craig's job in, in, in Covenant before him, and he's coming to uh, learn about Bellingham and Christ Church, and we're getting to know him a little bit. And so if you get a chance, talk to Nick and his wife, Emily. She was at the first service, but if, if maybe you see her at the party today, you can talk to them and get to know them a little bit. And then just one last announcement. Uh, this week, Pastor Craig passed his ordination exams for uh, at Presbytery. And uh, if you're if you're if you don't have a Presbyterian background, uh, our denomination, I, someone outside of our denomination came into our uh, ordination process, and they counted 30 hours of just examination to become a pastor in our denomination, which is is hard. So he he's done a good job uh, getting through those. And so we're going to have an ordination service in the next few weeks. You'll hear an announcement about that, and pretty exciting. So. So what we have for announcements, we're going to turn now to the Word of God, uh, this great chapter, um, Isaiah 55. Hear the Word of the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? In your labor for that which does not satisfy, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, You shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish accomplish that which I purpose. And I shall (coughs) succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy. And be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we praise you that when we turn to the pages of your holy word, we find over and over grace promised to us, grace assured to us. And uh, we thank you for passages like this that extend to us your open arms of welcome. And uh, we pray that you would give us hearts to believe Uh, the things that you say to us, hearts to trust in your promises, hearts to receive the gifts that are ours in Christ. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit now to to be our teacher as we uh, give our minds to your holy word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this is the fourth and final sermon in this sermon series on the topic of, of hospitality. And I, you know, I should say that I had uh, originally planned to have this last sermon be on Matthew 25. And Matthew 25 is Jesus' majestic description of the final judgment when the sheep and the goats are going to be separated. And if you go read that passage about the final judgment, you find out it's about hospitality. Jesus says, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. And I was thinking, oh, we got a hospitality series. We got to have a, a sermon on Matthew 25. But, you know, I was about halfway through the sermon. And I thought, you know, this is, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary as a church. And, you know, hellfire, you know, fires of, eternal fires of hell just seemed a little intense for the occasion. And so I just, I, I would, thought of that as I was sitting on my front porch reading Isaiah. And immediately Isaiah 55 came to mind. I thought, Oh, that is, uh, that's exactly the passage for today. And so uh, I think that uh, you could not find a better passage than this one to capture the heart of what Christchurch Bellingham is all about. And so uh, in particular, in Isaiah 55, I want to point out three, what you might say, hallmarks of the vision of CCB. They are the hospitality of God, the grace of God, and the joy of God. What is Christchurch Bellingham about? What do we hope that our community would be about? The hospitality of God, the grace of God, and the joy of God. And this passage from Isaiah just spells out each of those in such a compelling and powerful way. So I'm excited to share it with you this morning. So three things. First is this. 
the hospitality of God. Now, it's important to understand that this passage, Isaiah 55, it's God speaking this whole passage. And in the first five verses, there are basically three calls that God repeatedly says to his people to come, come, listen, listen, and behold, behold. And I want to talk about each of those as components of what God, the hospitality of God means. So first of all, you see that he says, come, come, come. In verse 1 there, right? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, what a number of commentators have pointed out is that what God sounds like in this passage is like, you know when you go to a market and there's, you know, they got all the tables and the guy, the hawker is trying to sell things and you make eye contact with him. And then he's like, you, 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 come over here. And you're like, me, you want me to come? And, and he wants to sell you sunglasses or a T-shirt or something or vegetables. And you're, you're like, how do I get out of this? this? And, you know, our thought is, like, this guy has an angle. And he, he knows how to get my money. And I need to get away from him. It's distrust. And so God sounds like a hawker in here. He's like, come, come over here, come over here. Except, in this case, God is calling us to come and everything's free. He says, you don't need money to enjoy my milk and my wine. He says, I just come take it. It's free. I want you to have it all. It's like a hawker that we've never met before. And the invitation is particularly given to those who are thirsty and who have nothing to offer. God says, those are the people that are thirsty and have nothing to offer. And, you know, actually my family just had an experience of this. Two weeks ago, we were down in Tacoma for a funeral. And the funeral went till about 3 in the afternoon and my kids and I, we had not had any lunch, and we were going to a beach to meet Shannon's uh, parents down in Tacoma. And so, you know, I'm kind of hungry, angry, you know, grumpy. And so I dropped them off at the beach, and I'm trying to find a parking spot. It's just crazy busy. And so I, I parked the car, and I'm walking down the beach, and I see my kids running at me, and they just have their hands filled with, like, fried chicken and, like, Asian rolls and stuff like that. And they're like, Dad, we just met the nicest lady in the world. She's got this whole table full of food, and she says we can eat as much as we want of it. And sure enough, I come to this table, and there's a little Filipino lady, and she's like, yep, come, come over here. You know, and she's, like, shoving a plate in my, you know, eat everything. And they're just, there's, like, piles of noodles that they're just grabbing with their hands, just eating the noodles with their hands. And she's just like, you know, eat whatever you want. You know, don't be shy. I know you're hungry. You need to eat something. You're a big boy. You need to eat something. And what Isaiah, the surprising thing that Isaiah is saying is that God is like this little Filipino woman. And he's, he's going all over Bellingham and Whatcom County. He's saying to all of us, come, come, come. You need to eat something. Don't be shy. Come closer. But I think that the Lord knows that when a stranger comes to us and says, come over here, I want to give you something, our first instinct is distrust. And so that's why the second thing he does, he doesn't just say, come, 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 but he also says, listen, listen. And you see that there in verse 2 where it says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread in your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. And so it's paired with come and eat is also God says you need to come and listen and I will tell you about my love. 
Now, you know, one of the questions of a passage like this where God's saying, come and eat the, the milk and the, or drink the milk and the wine that, for no price, the food that costs nothing, is, is, what is he talking about there? Is this literal physical food, physical blessings, which, I, you know, it's pretty reasonable because when you read in the Old Testament, God's promise to his people was that he was going to give them a land, and the land was going to be filled with milk and with wine, and he's, he said, I'm going to bless you. Or is this talking about spiritual blessings? You know, that we all have this spiritual hunger within us, and he's going to satisfy our spiritual hunger. And I think as you read through the Bible, you find that that's a false choice. You know, the physical world and the spiritual world are tied together. You know, every Sunday we come here, and does God give us physical food or spiritual food when we come to the Lord's table? Well, it's both. You know, the physical food is in some ways a sign or a symbol of our spiritual realities. And the hospitality of God cares for our bodies and our souls, our whole person. And I'll tell you one of my favorite examples of this. I, I quoted two weeks ago from the children's story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, someone said, yes, that's, someone said, yes. So I'm like, yes. And, uh, and I think in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's maybe one of the best descriptions in any literature of hospitality. And it comes from Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. The four Pevensi children have come into Narnia, and they're in this new world, and they don't know anyone, and the Mr. and Mrs. Beaver welcome them into their home. I'm going to read to you the whole passage. You've got to bear with me for a second here. This is what it says. Just as the frying pan was nicely hissing, Peter and Mr. Beaver came in with the fish, which Mr. Beaver had already opened with his knife and cleaned out in the open air. You can think how good the new-caught fish smelled while they were frying and how the hungry children longed for them to be done and how very much hungrier still they had become before Mr. Beaver had said, Now we're nearly ready. Susan drained the potatoes and then put them back in the empty pot to dry on the side of the range while Lucy was helping Mrs. Beaver to dish up the trout so that in a very few minutes, everyone was drawing up their stools. It was all three-legged stools in the Beaver's house except for Mrs. Beaver's own special rocking chair beside the fire and preparing to enjoy themselves. There was a jug of creamy milk for the children, Mr. Beaver stuck to beer, and a great big lump of deep yellow butter in the middle of the table which... Uh, from which everyone took as much as he wanted to go with his potatoes, and all the children thought, and I agree with them, that there's nothing to beat good freshwater fish if you eat it when it's been alive half an hour ago and has come out of the pan half a minute ago. And when they had the fish, Mrs. Beaver brought unexpectedly out of the oven a great and gloriously sticky marmalade roll, steaming hot, and at the same time moved the kettle onto the fire so that when they had finished the marmalade roll, the tea was made and ready to be poured out. And when each person had got his or her cup of tea and each person shoved back his or her stool so as to be able to lean against the wall and gave a long sigh of contentment. And now, said Mr. Beaver, pushing away his empty beer mug and pulling his cup of tea toward him, if you'll just wait till I've got my pipe lit up and going nicely, why now we can get to business. I just love this scene, how, you know, the children come into the house and they're, they're part of the dinner. You know, Susan's like draining the potatoes and they're setting the table. And, and of course, the meal's amazing. You know, the big lump of butter and the, um, and the marmalade rolls and all of that. But it's at the end of the meal when Mr. Beaver says, now's the time to get down to business. And it's when he gets down to business that the children listen intently as he tells them about Aslan, who's the 
king of the wood. And he, they, he tells them the whole story about Narnia is living under a curse. And the white witch is going to be defeated by the, the true king who's going to come. And this is exactly what God says in these verses. He says, come and eat. And then listen, I'm going to get down to business with you. And I'm going to tell you about my king, about David, who I love. And of course, Isaiah was written 300 years after the historical King David lived. So what this is talking about is the son of David, the greater David who would come much later, who is Jesus. And so God's hospitality looks like on the one hand that God's like this Filipino woman who's saying, come, 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 you need to eat something. And then he's like Mr. Beaver who's saying, listen, I will tell you the story of the true king of the world. The one that I have loved uh, loved since before the world began and in him you too can know my love. But, you know, there's one more call. So in the hospitality of God, he says, come, come. And he says, listen, listen. And then the third thing, though, is that he says, behold, behold. Twice talks about, he says to behold. First verse 4, behold, I have made him, that's Jesus, a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Now, this is kind of an interesting verse because in the Old Testament, the word for people was primarily used for the Israelites. They were God's chosen what? People. And the nations, all the pagans that were outside of Israel were called the nations. The people were God's people, and the nations were the people that weren't God's people. And now all of a sudden, all the nations of the world, God is saying, they too are my people. And that's why it goes on in in verse 5, and it says, Behold again, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now this is an incredible vision that's being given of whole ethnic groups, whole cultures that are running to the Lord and they are becoming God's chosen people. They're becoming known by the Lord. And it's interesting, it's not just individuals that are coming to the Lord. It's whole nations, cultures, you know, people groups. And it's what, you know, Psalm 83 puts it this way. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And so what the Lord is saying in these verses is that the welcome that he's shown to all of us, where God has said, come, come, you need to eat, and you need to listen and hear about my love, it's not just for us. It's for all the people in Bellingham and Whatcom County. It's for all the people in all the nations throughout the world. God is welcoming and saying, come to me. That is the extent and the beauty of the hospitality of God. And that is the invitation that I think God intends to extend from us as a community. That people would come here and they would, they would know, come just as you are. Listen about the good news of God's love for you in Christ. And behold what he is doing in the world. And what the hospita- hospitable spirit of God shows us is, you know, many people, when they come to religion or come to have a relationship with God or they think about the Bible, their first instinct is, God wants to take something. God wants something from me. Like he wants my money or he wants to put me in a straitjacket. He wants to get control of my life and I'm not going to get to do fun things I like to do anymore. And that's the opposite of what this spirit, you know, come, listen, behold is all. Not that God wants to take. It's that God wants to give. And that quality of God is the second kind of hallmark that we would hope for our church. The first is God's hospitable spirit. The second is the grace of God. And, you know, I'd say maybe the most satisfying thing over these last 10 years is a church that 
I've heard many times from people in our church is that in Christ Church Bellingham, they experienced, they learned about grace in new and profound ways that they hadn't ever heard or known about before. And I think it's important for us to recognize that the reason for that, the reason people have experienced grace here is not because grace is a part of our vision or because we preach grace or because we all understand grace so much, is because grace is at the very core and heart of who God is. People are experiencing the, God's own nature. And it is not natural for us to believe that God is gracious and compassionate and merciful. And that's one of the things that this passage tells us. Because there's a famous verse, verse 8, maybe some of you have quoted this verse before. It says this, <coughs> the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And I generally think, you know, when we quote a verse like that, what, in what kind of context of our life do we usually quote that verse? It's usually that, you know, we had certain plans for our life. You know, I was going to marry this person, or I was going to get this job, and it didn't work out. And then later we turn out it was better that I didn't marry that person. I didn't get that job. And God had better plans. And we say, you know, his thoughts are not, you know, our thoughts are not his thoughts. And his ways aren't our ways. And everything worked out well in the end. And, of course, you know, I think that's a reasonable application of that verse to say, wow, God has purposes for us that we didn't think of. But I don't think that's the main idea that Isaiah 55 is saying. Because what is the context of verse 8? What comes right before it and what comes right after it? You see in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. The thing about God that is not like us is his grace. He has compassion even on wicked people and is willing to forgive them and to be reconciled to them. And that spirit of grace, being gracious, is not what this world is like. Our world, people are ruthless. You know, our ways and our thoughts are, you know, we're exacting. We're critical of other people. We want to punish other people. We want um, to... Uh, prove people wrong, we're judgmental, we talk bad about people behind their backs, we see other people's flaws and we magnify their flaws. God's ways aren't our ways. God isn't like that. And that's why, again, in verse 9, right after that verse, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you're a reader of the Psalms, that might trigger another verse for you. It's a famous psalm. It's called uh, Psalm 103. It talks about the heavens being higher than the earth. And I'm going to read you the expanded version of Psalm 103. This is a quote. You know, it's alluding to Psalm 103. Here's the expanded version. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The thing about God that is higher than the heavens, the thing that is so unlike humanity is his grace. And you know, I know... For many of us, it's, it, one of the hardest things about being a Christian is actually coming to believe that God is gracious. 
You know, like we have these sins that we've been struggling with year after year after year, and we're thinking, God must be totally sick of me by now. No, he's not. He's slow to anger. He's patient. He's not surprised by any of your sins. He, he loves you. He's not like, I know, I know maybe people in your life have given up on you really quickly. God does not give up on people really quickly. God is committed to them. He makes vows to them. And that's the thing that we've never experienced anywhere in this world. that We have no knowledge of, and, and yet God is that way. God is like that. Now the question is, what happens to a person when they begin to hear about God's grace in their lives and they begin to believe it? Well, this, this passage gives a powerful picture of what happens in verse 10. It says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. What this verse is saying is that the word of grace from God is like rain. And it's like we're like this dry land. And, you know, in the ancient world, if you want things to grow, what do you pray for? You need the rain. It's the essential ingredient that you need. And, you know, I was just thinking about how powerful rain is this week. You know, we were down at Presbytery where Craig was get, having his exams. And we were, it was in Issaquah. And I don't know if you've driven out I-90 towards Issaquah. I mean, you have, you're coming into the mountains, the Cascades, and... Uh, the hills are just covered with trees. And it's just like, you're thinking, how many trees? It's just like millions and millions and millions of trees. And I was thinking the same thing, actually, coming back into Bellingham. You know, we come up I-5 all the time, and we drive into Bellingham. We're kind of used to it. And I was thinking of Jonathan Keel, who's our new pastor, who's going to come in, uh, in just a few weeks. He's coming from Louisville. And I'm thinking, man, he's going to be driving. He's maybe seen this once before. And the chuckanuts that are just covered with trees. Where do all these trees come from? Because it rains so much here. <laughs> it's from the rain. The rain has the power to produce life. Rain produces life. And one of the deepest convictions of this community is that the way that be- people begin to have fruitful lives, how do people you know, come to like really serve God and love God and love other people and sacrifice for God? How does that happen? It's by experiencing grace. Grace is rained down on them. Like, they need the amount of grace that we get rain in Bellingham. They need that much grace pouring down on them. And because we all come to the church, we come with hearts that are hard. We come used to serving ourselves and only thinking about ourselves. Or, you know, maybe our lives feel like out of control and, uh, and falling apart. How do we experience change? Well, this passage tells us to ask, well, how do crops grow? I mean, there are some things you can do. You know, you can till the ground, and you can get the rocks out, and you can put in fertilizer. But the most essential ingredient is it needs to rain. And the rain that God wants to shower on our community is the rain of his grace. We believe that the essential ingredient in people growing and changing in this church is rain, the grain of grace coming down from heaven. And so what are the hallmarks of our life together? Well, it's first the hospitality of God, that he's the mix of this little Filipino woman and Mr. Beaver, whatever that mix looks like, saying, come, listen, and behold. And the grace of God, which is unlike anything we've experienced in human relationships in the world, and that rain pours down and it causes all kinds of life to grow. 
But when that life is growing, there's one particular fruit that this passage points out, and that's our last point, which we'll call the joy of God. The hospitality of God, the grace of God, and the joy of God. And this passage is one of my favorite descriptions of joy in the whole Bible. It's in verse 12 there. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is just an incredible description of it's not just people that have joy, but nature itself erupting into song and praise for its creator. You know, the mountains singing and the trees are clapping their hands. And we don't even know what that could look like, but it's awesome. Like whenever that happens, I can't wait to join in that song. And this vision, of course, is given other places in the Bible. Some of you will know the story in Luke when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and all his followers are praising him. And the Pharisees are like, you shouldn't be praising Jesus. And he says, if they don't praise me, what's going to happen? The stones, the rocks are going to cry out and start praising him. And there's another place in Romans chapter 8 when it talks about when God sets all things right in his creation. And it says that the creation, nature itself, is eagerly awaiting to be set free. Like nature has been subjected to futility and it wants to be set free. And it's groaning in anticipation of the day when it will break out into song. And I think uh, that's an important description of the kind of joy that we can expect in our lives. Uh, when we have experienced God's welcome and hospitality to us and his grace to us, there is a real and profound joy. But I know that, you know, for many of us, we'd say, you know, if there's one thing in my life that's a struggle, it's joy. Maybe you're here, you say, I've, I've tasted that grace is good. I love grace. I love Jesus. I love the church. And it's still hard for me to experience joy. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Because... The mountains haven't broken into song yet, and the trees haven't started clapping their hands. We're waiting for the supreme joy to come. And so joy right now, what does joy look like right now? Joy is a longing. Joy is a desire, looking forward to the day when we join that chorus. And that's why we can have a real profound joy right now in Christ. And we can say at the same time that joy is a struggle for me because joy is a longing. So it's both a struggle and it is a real thing that we experience. And, you know, I'll, I'll close with this. The uh, G.K. Chesterton, in his great book, Orthodoxy, which is about his journey to faith, um, in the, and joy was a big part of his journey to faith, the pursuit of joy. And uh, Chesterton, in the very final paragraph of, of his book, Orthodoxy, says that joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. It's a hidden thing. It's like, it's a big thing that's hidden. And he actually, he talks about our Lord, who Jesus, you know, when he walked on this earth, he was pretty expressive about his emotions. You know, his friend Lazarus died. It says he didn't even just cry. He like sobbed when, his, when Lazarus died. And there's another time when Jesus goes into the temple and everyone's selling stuff in the temple courts and you saw Jesus' anger. His wrath comes out. So he's open about his emotions. But Chesterton says there was something about Jesus that he kept hidden from us. And this is what he says. These are final words of orthodoxy. He says, I say it with reverence. 
There was in that shattering personality a thread that, we must, that must be called shyness. There was something that he hid from all men when he went up on a mountain to pray. There was something that he covered constantly by abrupt silence or impetuous isolation. There was some one thing that was too great for God to show us when he walked upon our earth. And I have sometimes fancied that it was his mirth. His mirth is his laughter. It's his merriment, his joy. That was the secret gigantic shyness about Jesus, that there is a hidden joy in him that we haven't even begun to see the beauty of. And the reason we are a part of God's church is because there is hidden here a secret joy that is so great that one day the mountains will erupt into song and the trees will clap their hands. And so even as we struggle to have joy in this life, we will never leave the God who says, come, 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 like the little Filipino lady, and who tells us the amazing story of the true king of the world like Mr. Beaver, and whose grace is like nothing we've ever experienced in this life, and who will one day flood his creation with joy. So while we wait, we will wait together and remind each other of these things. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you that hidden in your word are pictures for us of a world made new that we have a share in in Christ. We praise you that you've opened your arms to us. You have welcomed us. We confess that our hearts are resistant. Our hearts are distrustful. We pray that you would help us to listen as you speak to us of your grace, a grace like we've never experienced in all our human relationships, we've never experienced in ourselves, and that you would pour down your grace on us as a community and from the ground would come forth abundant fruit. And we even pray for the fruit of joy. Could we have the joy that is both a longing for the day when our joy will be complete? And so, Lord, we will wait. We will wait together. And we hope that we can invite others to know this joy and this grace as well. We pray in Christ's name, amen.